Welcome, everybody, to the Kona Shane Veterinary Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Andy Roy. Guys, I got a crossover episode for you today. I'm going to play you an episode of the other podcast that I do. It's called the Uncharted Veterinary Podcast, which is a uh, it's all a communication business development podcast for people in vet medicine. Uh, if you've never heard the the Uncharted podcast, I, I hope you're in for a treat. I hope you'll like it. I do this podcast with my dear friend, uh, practice management goddess Stephanie Goss, and uh, you'll hear you'll hear us go through this episode. Uh, we got asked, "Hey, what are the lessons that you wish you knew?" when you started managing other people? And that was the question that we got. And this is a two-part podcast. This is the first part. Uh, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna put the second part over here on the Kona Shame Show. Uh, if you want it, uh, it is out now. This part two will come out uh, when you hear this episode. It will have come out the day before over on the Uncharted Veterinary Podcast. So if you wanna hear part two, you can go over to, uh, to Uncharted Veterinary Podcast, wherever you get your podcasts and get yesterday's episode. And it will be part two of Lessons We Wish We'd Learned. Uh, and that's uh, that's what that's what it is. Anyway, uh, this episode is it's just a it's just a bag of pearls. It's just Stephanie Goss and I trading stories about lessons that we learned the hard way. And I wish I wish I had known before I started managing other people. Uh, I think it's a really fun episode. If you work with other people, I think you'll enjoy it and get something out of it. I think there's just a lot of life lessons here that we have picked up over the last 20 years. And so anyway, I really like this episode. That's why I wanted to share it with everybody. So without further ado, let's get into this episode. This is your show. We're glad you're here. We want to help you in your veterinary career. Welcome to the Cone of Shame with Dr. Andy Rourke. And we are back. It's me, Dr. Andy Rourke, and the one and only Stephanie. I'm learning to fly and I ain't got wings, Goss. How's it going, Andy Rourke? Holy moly. It's good. It's good. We're in the summer here. Uh, things are good. Uh, the kids are are uh, doing some camps and stuff. Mm-hmm. They uh, they started sewing camp yesterday. Oh, fun. Yeah. At what's the place called? Uh, it's called it's it's um it's called something like so enjoyable. S-E-W. Oh, that's and, cute. Oh, it's just, but, but it's just led to so many puns uh-huh. at our house. Dad jokes. Yeah. Oh, it's so expensive. And, <laughs> and so, yeah. You are already good at puns and bad dad jokes. I can only imagine your poor daughters and your poor wife the last 24 hours. I've been needling them. <laughs> <laughs> it's a whole thread. It's a whole thread. Um, yeah, it just, it's it's been constant. It's been constant since yesterday. So anyway. Oh, so anyway, man. how are things with you? Uh, you know, we're starting the summer off with a bang. Uh, I got a kid that's got the stomach flu and another kid that had to go and get vaccines and is <laughs> not feeling so hot. So, oh, you know, why not? Why not? Let's just get it out of the way. But overall, it's, uh, it's great. It has been sunny. Today is we're back to rain in Washington, but it's been sunny and beautiful, and I cannot complain. Things are good. Oh man, we've got big stuff going on at the Uncharted World that you yes, and I do. have been working on. Yes, Holy moly! July eleventh is a big day. That is when we are launching a number of registrations for all the different stuff we got going on in the fall, guys. 
holy crap, Uncharted is blowing up in the back half of 2023. I told you guys, I told you, like this was a huge year for Uncharted. We're going to keep rolling out stuff. You ain't seen nothing yet. But on July 11th, we are putting on sale our first ever Medical Director Summit and our Team Lead Summit. Both of them are one-day virtual events that are only open to medical directors. And the other one is open only to team leads. So when I say team leads, I'm talking about uh, head technicians, uh, head CSRs, uh, kennel, kennel head leads, kennel. Uh-huh. Yep, head kennel, things like that. Uh, so uh, again, and that's why I call it team leads because every hospital is a little bit different in how they break those things out and what yeah. they call them. But this is for people who are leading a team. I I really, um, I hope that doctors come to this. I hope that doctors who are dedicated to working hand in glove with their technicians and are like, I run a team. It's uh, it's a tech team. And so me and my technicians and assistants are a team and I am a team leader. Uh, and I might not have a title. I might not have a, an official designation, but I see myself as a team lead and I run this team. I want, I want you to come there because we are going to be working on the skills that you need to be a team lead. Meaning you don't own the place. You're not the high boss. You've got bosses you have to keep happy. And you're also looking out for your people and making their lives better. So that's our yeah. team lead summit. You're leading from the leading from the middle. I am super excited about that one because when I was a lead CSR, there was not community. There was not a place that I could go um, where I could connect really easily with other lead CSRs who understood the challenges of being on the floor and being um, trying to to lead people and trying to have private one-on-one conversations and see what the pulse was of the team, right? Like it is, a, it is a balancing act and I'm excited for that. And I am really excited for the same reasons, but for our medical director summit, because that is a challenging job, whether you're in private practice or you're in corporate practice, when you're balancing the medicine side of things. And usually that role means balancing a partnership with the practice manager on the other side. And so I am super excited to get into that relationship structure and how do you lead as a team of two and stay in step and do kind of all of that focused stuff for medical directors. I'm super excited for that. Yeah. I don't think anybody has done more work with medical directors than we have in the last three years, three to five years. I, I, I really don't. I literally hundreds of medical directors we work with. I mean, and this is going to be all about managing down while managing up while also working with doctors and focusing on doctor retention and building culture and things like that. You know, it, people don't realize your medical directors are stuck where you're like, no, that's stuck in a bad way, but you have, you have definitely got pressure. You have a direct boss. You, you have to, you have to, who you have to manage. You have to, it, it's the medical director role is this amazing, challenging place of balance. It's balancing what the team needs. It's balancing the doctors and maybe some egos of the doctors and different perspectives of the doctors doctors and also balancing operational pressure coming down to uh, shield your team and then also meet objectives. And you are trying to do so many different things with so many different pressures. And that's why we wanted to break out and have a one day summit just for medical directors. It's like, there's not another role that has these same pressures coming from different places. And like, we've just got so much experience balancing these things and working with these people. And I was like, man, we are going to have it's And it's just one day. It's going to be a deep dive, but it is going to be something that people are going to really come and go, oh man, if nothing else, you're not going to feel alone. If you're like, oh man, this is kind of a lonely job. Um, come on, buddy, come and come and see what we're doing and, uh, and come and, and come and be a part of it, but you're not alone. And, uh, and we're going to go ahead and, and we're going to help you out. So anyway, that's the medical director summit too. So yeah. 
and then and then we're gonna we're um you know we're getting ready to go back uh, together in person. We've got another virtual event in October. We're doing our culture conference, but then we're back in person in Greenville in December, and that is also going up uh, an opening for registration. So there is like so there is so much happening July 11th. So if you are like I need to know what they are doing, uh, we got you because it's coming July 11th. UnchartedVet.com. Check out our events. Um, Boy, we got a lot going on. So anyway, super great. Okay, so we were talking about leaders, and I'm excited because today's episode is probably going to be a little bit different. I don't know so much that we're going to break out into headspace or action steps, although you could convince me otherwise. But um, I got asked a question um, recently by someone in our Uncharted community who is a newer leader. And they said, well, I have this question, but I'm not sure that it fits your mailbag format, but I would love to hear you and Andy talk about it on the podcast. And I was like, great, tell me what your question is. And they were like, I would love to know what some of the lessons you and Andy wish that you had learned um, before you became leaders. Like, what are some of those things that you look back and in hindsight, you're like, oh man, I wish that I had learned this lesson or I had been able to get this um, this knowledge before I stepped in to this role. And I just thought, how fun is this going to be for you <laughs> for you and me to talk through? I love this. I am so, I am, so, I saw this and I was like, I'm so happy. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, I went after this. I, I started jotting things down on a post-it note as I do. And it's, it's a full post-it note. So we're going to see how this goes. Um, you know, the, the, the first, the first thing I thought about when I started jotting this stuff down is like, are there are things that I know now that I did not know early on. And I wonder if I could have known them sure. without without having gone through it. So there's a, there's, mm-hmm. a, uh, there's a saying that I like. Uh, I've said it recently on the podcast, I think. But the, the owl of Minerva spreads its wings only with the falling of dusk. And the <laughs> idea is the owl of Minerva is this symbol of knowledge and wisdom, right? And it spreads its wings only at the falling of dusk means basically we get it at the end. Sure. Like we, we only get knowledge and wisdom at the end. And I'm like, is that really true? Or are there things that we can learn and avoid headaches? So I don't know. I'll I'll start laying some stuff down. I don't know if I would have understand what I'm going to say at the very beginning, but I I think, I think some of it would have sunk in. I think so. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that like when I sat down and I started making notes for myself, I was like, what, you know, what are the things? There were things that I think I would have understood then. I wouldn't, have understood them with the depth and the context that I can understand and appreciate them now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, because you, as you walk down the road, sometimes you learn the same lesson more than once in yeah. a different way. And it gives you new perspective and it gives you more dimension to the lessons that you learned previously. So, uh, but I, I would, I would agree with that. I think sometimes there are those things that until you go through it, you just don't appreciate it the same way. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, let's just uh, let's let's jump in this. Let's right. go back and forth. You want to trade? Okay. Yeah. Do you want to go first, or you want me to? Uh, I you go for it. Okay. Well, I will start. With, I will start with a with a big one for me. Okay. Um, so one of the one of the big ones in my career that I really wish that I could have known would have saved me from burning out three years ago. Uh, so when I when I burned out. 2019. Uh, it was not fun. I, I would not recommend it 
I would not do it again. Uh, but I learned a lot. 10 out of 10 would not recommend. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, but I learned a lot. I learned a lot about myself. I learned a lot about life. It's one of those things where, you know, I wouldn't trade the scars away if I could because right. I learned a lot. Sure. And I will say the number one thing, I, I learned a couple of things, right? Um, I learned, uh, I learned, I, I learned mostly you can't make people happy. And you need to, and you need to know that. And mm -hmm. I think, um, sure. I think I would say that I'm going to leave that as my opening, as my opening <laughs> statement there is you can't make people happy. Only people can make people happy. Only sure. they can make them happy. Right. And I started off as a young leader and I was like, if someone is unhappy, I'm going to fix that. I'm going to be so good that they're, that they have to be happy. Sure. Um, and that is fantasy. Right. You can't make someone happy. You can only uh, you can only do what you can do, and then they can be happy or not. And so then you say, okay, well, I've always thought, and again, that's how I was as a young leader. I thought I will know that I'm good at my job because people will tell me I'm good at my job because they'll be happy. They'll be happy with me. They'll say you're the best boss ever. Hey, I love uh, I love you know what you guys are doing, and it's incredible. And so if you can't make people happy and you buy that, then the question then becomes, well, how do I know? that I'm doing a good job. And the answer to that that I learned over the years is you need to know what your values are. You need to know what you care about. And so, you know, you and I talk a lot about core values and things like that, but you need to know what you care about. So at the end of the day, do not look around and ask yourself, did I make everyone happy? Look around and say, did I live my values today? Was I patient? Was I kind? Was I honesty? Was I honest? Did I act with integrity? Did I work hard? Did I learn something? Am I a better doctor or team leader today than I was a year ago? Um, was I, am I compassionate? Was I empathetic? And if the answer to all those things is yes, then good God, man, you are you are good. You are doing you are doing great. But but I think a lot of times we ask ourselves the wrong question because we think we can make people happy and we just can't. And I wish I'd known that. Yeah, I I can. That totally sits with me as well. And if I think back to my early days as a as a leader in in my team was honestly before I even had an official role, right, or a title, I just was someone on the team who stepped forward and said, well, I could do this thing and I could, you know, get my peers excited about doing these things. And um, and there was a lot tied for me in terms of my own happiness with everybody else being happy. Um, because the drive was I like coming to work and I like hanging out with my friends, especially like as a as a leader from the middle of the team. I was like, I'm friends or friendly with everybody on the team. I like coming to work. I like having fun. And therefore, I'm measuring a good day and I'm measuring success on whether we were happy today, you know, yeah. and whether we enjoyed it. And so when the bad days were bad, it was really hard for me not to take that personally and be like, you know, I'm the cheerleader of the group. Like I could have made it better. And um, I, I definitely that resonates for me because I think I spent a lot of time in that place of feeling like I can I can do a better job at this. And and I think your point of coming to that that realization that the only person that I can control is me and I can control my reactions to things and I can, can I can you know choose my state of mind and I can't help anybody else do that I can influence and I can um, support and I can coach but at the end of the day they have to choose it and I don't have any control over that yeah 
it's like, I, I want to hold myself accountable to be the person that I want to be. And if that's all I can do and good things will radiate out from that. I believe it, but not every day. Some days you will be the person that you think is the right person to be. That is a good person. That is the person you aspire to be. You will be your best version of yourself and someone will still get angry at you yep. and call you a jerk yep. and tell you that you, that they never, uh, that they never coming back to your clinic again. Like it yeah, will happen, and, totally. but you can't, you, you have to, you can't get distracted by that. You have to keep leaning into being the person you want to be. The, the other thing I would, I took out of just really burning out was the, the story I tell about there is no dragon and the, the, the story about there is no dragon. If you've never heard me tell it basically comes down to this is like, I truly believed for 40 years, uh, basically, I believed that there was some magical dragon that I had to slay, that some challenge, some accomplishment that I could do. And if I did it, I would know I was successful. I would know I was a good person. I would know that, yeah, I would know that my life had been important uh, or meaningful. Or, and, and anyway, but for 40 years, I... And the dragon would change, right? It would morph. At first, it was I'm, I'm going to go to a good college, and then it was like I'm going to go, I'm going to go to medical school, and then it morphed into no, I'm going to go to graduate school, or I'm I'm going to go. And when I get it, if I get into vet school, and then if I graduate from vet school, and then if I get this certain job, then and it just and it just never. I, I'm going to I'm going to get married. I'm going to do, and it just kept going and kind of morphing in different ways. And it was like then I'm going to work for myself, and I'm going to do all these things, and like man. It never ended. And I would pick a dragon and then I would, I'd get there and I would slay it. I would, I would graduate. I would, I would find the girl I was going to marry. I did the things and the emptiness never went away. And I never felt like, yep, I, that I'm done now. And I think I, I always thought that you would pick a dragon and you would slay it and then you would live happily ever after. And like that, you know, the scene would fade out and the credits would roll and, and you would know that you were done and you would just be satisfied. And the truth is, guys, we are, as human beings, we are not made to be satisfied. There is no dragon that you're going to slay that is going to make you feel the way you think you'll feel when you succeed. And like, that may sound really horrible and I don't mean it to be. I think it's just the truth of human nature. And so when I say there is no dragon, I, what I learned, because I went this burnout, I, I burned out because, man, I, I traveled all the time. I worked constantly and I wanted to be all things to all people. And I just, I mean, I just poured myself so into what we were doing at the time. And, you know, and it was good stuff and meaningful stuff. And it was all the right stuff. And I hit all the measures that people seem to care about. Like I, I had the dream job and, you know, and I super happy family life and everything. And, and I just still, I was just kept being like, why am I not happy? Why am I, why am I not satisfied? And, and there was just no way off of this treadmill until finally I burned out. And that is when I, I realized there, there is no dragon. The thing you're trying to slay, it doesn't exist. And so uh, I, I wish that I knew that of, you know, the thing that you think you're going to accomplish that's going to make you happy or, or make you satisfied or, or make other people know that you're valuable, you know what I mean, that you're worthy, that thing is not real and it doesn't exist and you can go try to slay it, but it's not going to solve what you're looking for. That's a, that's a, that's a tough one, right? I think, that's heavy, I think yeah. About, I think about it like in the context of 
um, and I and I I think you're I think you're spot on. And the reason why I think you're spot on is because think about you know the studies that they have done on people who have won the lottery. And I think for a lot of us, like we look at, well, if we had more money, like I could not have to work as much, or I could, you know, pay off my bills, or I could travel, or like for each of us, it's a different personal thing, right? That we think that we would do and improve our lives in some way when you have more money than you have, you know. And that's a that's an exciting thought. And they have done the studies to show to to look at the the happiness and the success factors after people win tons of money in the lottery. And it doesn't it, you know, it, you just trade one set of circumstances for another is is what they've shown time and time again. And so I think your I think your thought about human nature there is is spot on that that, that we're not that's not that's the story we are told from the time we are little children is like, if we just do this thing or we just get to this next place, then more will come or the next reward will come or whatever. We're just conditioned that way. Um, and I remember I remember vividly, actually, the first time you talked about the the dragon and you were working on a, a keynote for our, I think it was our very first virtual Uncharted during COVID. You know, you were like working on something that was everybody was everybody was tired. Everybody was overwhelmed. Everybody was like, oh, dear Lord, what are we doing? You know, and I remember you and I having this conversation and and talking through it. And I was like, oh, this is going to this is going to be good. And I remember when you did the the keynote that involved the story. And I remember this just this feeling of like the light bulb went on, not only for me, but for so many of my peers. And you could kind of see it on the screen is like, oh, oh, like that resonates. Like I have been chasing a thing, whether it's practice ownership or, you know, um, something in our personal, like whatever it is, so many of us are looking at that dragon and trying to figure out how to slay it. And and what I loved was the way that you tied it up and you talked about like, what if the question wasn't, you know, how do we find the dragon and slay it? What if the question was about, what are we going to do along the way? Like, what are the stops that we're going to enjoy on this adventure? Like, if you look at it from a quest, and I love it because it was super nerdy, and like that's something you and I, <laughs> you and I share together, and I love the story aspect of it, and like, I can picture myself on dragon slaying journey. Yeah. Um, but like stopping and thinking and thinking about our lives, and it's very, you know, um, there are people who would be like, oh, that's so you know touchy feely philosophic, but I really think that it's true, like. If we think about what are the things we want to enjoy along the way, because dragon's still going to be there, like slaying yeah. it is not going to make the difference. So what if we just leave the dragon alone? <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you're exactly right. So so the research on lottery member, uh, lottery winners, I'm glad you brought it up because I love it. It's, it's the research says that if you win the mega bajillion dollars in the lottery, your happiness will increase for about three months on average. And after about three months, you are back to being, you are at the same level of happy as you are now. And the reason for that is what's called the hedonic treadmill, which means like, it's just, we're wired to whatever the great thing is that happens to you, it becomes normal for you. And, and you adjust back to where you were before in this new normal. And like, that's how we're made is the hedonic treadmill. And so you're exactly right. So, so you're exactly right. The, the, the key to there is no dragon. Like the answer that I had to burn out to find is, if there is no dragon, then what the heck are we doing? And the answer is, you have got to focus on and enjoy the experience that you are having, not the outcome you are trying to achieve. 
It's not about killing the dragon. It's about enjoying the quest to find the dragon and, and, and finding meaning in that quest. And, and that's the real beautiful part. Like, that's the take home. Whatever it is, when you're like, I'm going to do that thing and it's going to make me happy or it's going to make me satisfied, what I would say is, all right, tell me about how it's going to make you feel when you accomplish this. And the way you imagine it, when you imagine slaying this dragon, how is that going to make you feel? And that would say, great. Just so you know, it's not, that's not, that's not going to happen. Right. <laughs> <laughs> However, what can you do right now to feel that way? Sure. Like, what can you do right now in the moment? If you're like, I'm going to do this big thing and my team will love me and I will be popular. I'll be like, great. Right. Just so you know, that's not going to happen. Right. Like, you're going to do it. <laughs> they, hey, you might crush it and they'll be happy for a week. But that, that is, that is a home run grand not slam right there is yeah. a week. Yeah. Um, but, but that's all it's going to be. So the real thing is, what can you do to be popular with your team right now? Like what, what can you do to make them smile or even, uh, they don't have to all be together, but what can you do to make your team know that you care about them? That doesn't involve having the best year ever so you can take them on a cruise. What can you do today just to tell them that they matter to you and to show them like, go write a thank you note. I mean, seriously, like that doesn't mean give up, keep going after your dream, but man, write a thank you note and mean it and feel good about it and 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 say, man, I am so grateful for my team. I'm writing them a note. Like that's what I that's what I'm doing. And just hold that trophy and be happy about that because that is the quest towards the dragon that you're trying to slay. And it's like, man, 40 years, I didn't enjoy that. I didn't write the note because I thought I was going to do the massive thing at the end that would make everybody know and make me know that I had accomplished the thing. And I was like, no, write the note. Ask somebody to go out to lunch, bring, you know, bring them ice cream sandwiches, you know, just whatever the thing is you're trying to do. If you are like, I, you know, I want to be rich. Well, it ain't going to make you happy. Well, I, I, how will you feel when you're rich? Well, I'll feel safe. I go, okay, good. Let's start to make, let's start to make a little emergency savings account. That's going to make us feel safer because that is something we can do right now. And it's uh, it, and and we can start to have that experience of building some safety. That's the thing that we're really looking for. So anyway, that's uh that that's that's sort of the takeaway from there is no dragon is like is remember it. I, I gotta tell you guys, I, I think the number one thing now I'm all fired up. I I think the thing <laughs> the thing that I was <laughs> this this is about being this is about being in medicine. It's also been about being a leader. Is there is no dragon. The best part of medicine is the mundane thing you're doing today. It is going into the exam room and talking to the pet owner who does half of the things that you recommend, right? Like, like that's, that's it. Go, so enjoy it. Like, go enjoy it. Just decide, like, that I'm going to go meet a new person. I'm going to talk yeah. to them and their dog is nice. And I'm going to work with my assistant who I really like. Yes. And I'm going to crack some sewing puns and we're going <laughs> to chuckle. And like, good. That's the good stuff, man. Like, yes. that's that's it. Like, it's yes. the day-to-day just, I get to, I get to pet dogs and cats all yes. day. And yes. like, I'm going to fix this thing. And man, when a thank you note comes, don't wait to win the Vet of the Year award. Just hold on to that thank you note and be like, yeah, this is the good stuff. And like, that's, that's what I mean when I'm like, there's no dragon. It's just, it's, it's all the mundane things of just chuckling with the owner when she tells you about how her dog does this goofy thing, Mm -hmm. you know, just Mm -hmm. like everybody, you know, exactly what I'm talking about. We've all had those interactions that 
they don't mean anything, but you're laughing and they're laughing and the dog is just wagging his tail. And I'm like, man, that's the good stuff right there. And so the key, I think, is to wring all the enjoyment out of that that you can and hold on to it. That's how you, that's how you make it. That's what success looks like. Hey, everybody, I just want to jump in real quick and let you know I got some free CE for you. That's right. Absolutely free. I am hosting a webinar with my friend, Dr. Susan Hartzell. I had Susan on back in April. You might remember we were talking about pancreatitis. The webinar is called Updates in Canine Pancreatitis Treatment Innovation with Fusaplatib Sodium for Injection. Uh, That is on August the 8th from noon to 1 p.m. Eastern Time. I'll put a link in the show notes for you to grab on. Jump in. Get registered. Uh, She is going to be talking about uh, understanding canine pancreatitis. And then she's going to be talking about the role of neutrophilic inflammation in canine pancreatitis. And then and how the drug that is known as Panaquel CA1, uh, it can be used in treatment. But anyway, it's an overview of pancreatitis, general treatment stuff. It, Susan's a great presenter. One hour, free race CE. Uh, just got it for you. It's going to be a great presentation. Let's get back into this episode. Okay, I was going to go a completely different direction with my first one, but I'm I'm going to completely change course and piggyback off of what you were just talking about. It wasn't even on my post-it. Um, but since you were talking about that, I think that is so, it, it set off a light bulb for me because I will tell you when I hit the point of burnout for me as a manager, I was kind of at the the top of my career in the sense that I had had all the promotions. I was at the top. I was, I was, uh, you know, I had been, uh, had ownership experience at that point. I was making decisions. I was truly an, a hospital administrator running my practice. Like when you think about the path to leadership in veterinary medicine for a manager, like I was, I was there and all the things that I l- loved about veterinary medicine and all of the reasons why I got into veterinary medicine, I spent very little time doing any of that. My my time day to day was consumed with meetings and planning and spreadsheets and all of the administrative work, which I also love. I love I love a good spreadsheet. We know this. <laughs> and the getting to be in an exam room and have that mundane conversation to see a client the first time their puppy comes into the vet or to be in the room when somebody says goodbye to a member of their family like those are the things that that I enjoy and it doesn't have to be the big I was never the technician that liked the big splashy things I freaking hate surgery I was never the one who was like oh get me in the middle of a big giant you know bloody mess like that was never me put me in an I will sit in the lab and do parasitology all day long. Put me in an exam room for the boring ear and skin conversation. Like I will gladly do that because for me, it was about that the the little moments helping an owner have that light bulb go off where they're connecting what they're doing at home and what they're feeding their pet to the problems we're seeing in the exam room, whatever. Like that was the joy for me. And what I realized as a leader when I got to that point was to not allow myself to become so disconnected from that why. It was really easy when I sat back and I was talking it through with my therapist, like 
I, I was shocked at how easily I let all of that go and how quickly I became disconnected, not only from my joy and excitement about my job, but from my team. And so, um, you know, I would be on the floor and I would be working with them and, and hearing what's going on and like hearing, you know, I, I was still doing that, but I was, I was, my mind was on the other things that were sitting on my desk that I had to deal with or the phone call, the difficult, you know, one-on-one that was coming up at the end of the day or the angry client. I knew that I had to call back. Like my mind was somewhere else a lot of the time. Um, And I wasn't actually being present in the moment with my team. And so I really worked hard to spend intentional time It was really hard for me. It was like a lot of, it was a lot of change. It was turning off notifications on my phone. It was turning, you know, it was turning off my Apple watch. So I stopped getting some of the notifications, like really, truly being present with my team and making intentional time. And I'll never forget, I had a team member who made probably one of the biggest differences for me. Uh, It was actually a team member that I really kind of struggled, (laughs) struggled with managing, but she came into my office one day and she had a little puppy and it she was just like isn't this thing cute and it was it was so it was one of those puppies that's so ugly it's cute and you can't just help but like ooh and ah over it because it's it's just so not cute but it's cute cuz all all puppies are cute and i was like loving on it and being all excited and and there was lots of there was lots of high pitched stephanie squealing it was it, and she said this is the happiest that I've seen you at work in a really long time. And in the moment, it didn't didn't take me, I wasn't as a taken aback as I was when I processed it later. But it was funny because later that week, the same person came back into my office and she was like, oh, look at this little kitten. And the second time she came into my office, she was like, you know, I'm going to make it my mission that when we have puppies and kittens in the building, like I'm going to make sure you know about it because you look different. And I was just like, this is a person that I thought didn't like me as a manager that I thought didn't care about me. But that was potentially the most caring thing that she could have said to me because I realized like she saw me. She saw the look on my face. She saw my enjoyment and she was true to her word. And she not only came and told me, but she told the rest of the team at our at our huddle that day. She was like, hey, listen up. When we have cute patients that come in the building, Stephanie needs to be told. <laughs> And and it was like my team was just like, uh, and she was like, no, I mean it like the really cute puppies and kittens, but also the really cute gray muzzles like she needs to know about it. And if she's free, you need to make her come out of her office and you need to make her come pet. She's like, make her hold them, whatever. And at first, my mind went to that place of, oh, my God, this is going to be the biggest interruption to all of the things that I had to do. And I'll tell you, Andy, like being forced to put something down that wasn't really that urgent, but I gave urgency to it because I felt like I needed to do it to do my job. Like my job was really being able to be present with my team and be present for the clients and the patients and have those conversations. And I found myself gladly saying, I'll go and do that exam room for you. You know, why don't you get some other things done or take a break or whatever? Like I'll step in to do that mundane stuff, right? Because it really connected me with that why and the joy of the, the happiness that I actually get in veterinary medicine. And it was really, really easy for me to let myself disconnect from that as a leader. And so I would say like, I'm glad you said that because 
that's probably one of the most valuable lessons that I learned was like, don't let yourself lose that. Like, don't let yourself get so easily disconnected from it because there will always be an email or a meeting or a stack of bills that need to get, you know, taken care of. There will always be that administrative work. And unless your power for the clinic is about to get shut off, (laughs) you know, like there's really probably not something that needs to be done right this second that you can't stop and take that moment and just enjoy that for yourself, but also for your team and, and to connect with your why. Yeah, no, I, I, I love that as far as connecting with your why. Uh, and again, I, so I get the example of sort of being in the exam room is what matters. And you talk about cuddling, cuddling puppies and kittens. I tell you, one of the things that I got my head around recently is like, I enjoy leading people. I enjoy mentoring and growing people. And one of the things that makes me deep, deeply happy in the moment is working with my people. It's coaching them. It's talking to them about uh, how things are going. It's asking them, you know, like, well, what do you think? What do you, what do you want to do? What are you excited about? And um, it's just, I really enjoy that. And so I, I'm going to sort of, there's so many ways I want to engage with what you said, all, kind of all at once. Um, <laughs> you know, I, one of the, good gosh, I could do, I could do a lot of different things here. Um, here, I guess here, here's where I'm, here's where I'm kind of going. Uh, I think this is where my inertia is going. One of the things that I would, I, I would go into from here is I would tell my young self, beware of monkey management. And so we talk a lot about monkey management of everybody's got a monkey. It's like a thing that's going on with them. It's something they're struggling with. And they want, they want to give you their monkey. Like everyone's like, Hey, I got this thing. Will you take you? Will you take it? They're like, I'm really struggling to get the rest of the front desk staff to do the aha standards that we need to do. And you, at least I, forever was like, you know what? Servant leadership, I will get involved. I will wade into this. And essentially what I'm like is like, I will help you take care of your monkey. Like, give it to me. But the truth is, as you become a leader and you move up, people are like, oh man, she's really good at this. Let's let her deal with this monkey. And so people get real comfortable at bringing you monkeys to deal with. And then it's off their back and it's all on yours. And I have at times let myself get covered in monkeys because I leaned into servant leadership and been like, yep, you tell me what the problem is and I will wade into it. And that's in my mind. I was like, this is what servant leadership is. And so what I learned over time is you should be very, very aware of monkeys and who's trying to give them to you. And you should resist them in almost every opportunity. Which means it is so easy to say when the person says, hey, I'm trying to get the rest of the CSRs to get on board so we can do our AHA standards. It is so, you feel like the right thing to say is, let me come and help you. I would say that's the wrong thing to say. The right thing is, well, what has been your plan thus far? And what has happened? And okay, given this is what happened, what do we need to move forward? What does your plan look like? You know, and just coach instead of waiting in unless it is absolutely necessary. And when it's absolutely necessary, try to jump in, do the one thing you said you were going to do and get back out. But I have gone uh, because I thought I wanted, because I was I was like, this is the job and this is what I need to do. I have 100% gone way too hard into jumping in and helping people. And then what happened, and the reason I brought this up was, I've done this to the point that I have not enjoyed my work in the mm-hmm. past. Oh, like yeah, for I sure. I have gone and I'm like, man, I'm doing 
15 different projects and none of them are interesting to me. I didn't start any of them, but now I'm doing all of these things because they need to get done. And I don't enjoy doing these projects. What I do enjoy is coaching and mentoring and leading. And But I took myself out of the coach, mentor, leader role and put myself into the co-worker role. And now I felt stuck there. And so I had to hit the reset button and go, you know what, guys, I'm stepping back from this and I'm going to need you guys. We're going to come together as a team. And I am letting you know that I am stepping back from this project and I am elevating a new leader who I will support. And then I got back into, yes, I really enjoy this. I enjoy working with people. I enjoy the strategy. I enjoy the leadership. But I don't enjoy working on AHA standards at the front desk. Like, I have no interest in that. And so, anyway, beware of people giving you their monkeys and you taking them on and um, resist the short-term goal or the short-term benefit of jumping in and helping people in a way that leads to your own long-term detriment. Okay. So I'm going to, we're going to go two for two because I'm going to piggyback off of that with something that was on my, was on my list. Um, so I, I think that's so great. And I'm glad that you said it because I, that also contributed to my burnout as a manager, to your point. Like I was like, oh yeah, okay. I can help you solve that because I want to help. Like I want to help you. And so sure, I can help you solve that problem. There will never not be someone else's problem, though. And to your point, like if you just keep letting the monkeys get dropped off in your office, soon you turn around in your chair and the office is full of monkeys and none of them are yours. And because yours are running loose and rampant through the clinic, oh, yeah. and, you know, well, because your because your monkeys are important, but not urgent. You're working on the things that matter in the long term. And what the monkeys people bring to you, they're on fire. Yes. These are now monkeys yes. that are on fire. <laughs> and you're like, how to deal with the monkey that's on fire? And so you leave your important yes. monkey that will one day rule over humanity uh, because it's so important and smart. And you're taking care of some <laughs> moron flaming monkey that like, why, are I, why am I the one dealing with this? But here right. I am because it's on yes. fire. Yes. No, it's Let's totally true. Let's just stretch this metaphor a little bit farther. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm going to take us away from the monkeys for a second uh, because you, you said something uh, that, that made the light bulb go off for me. So, you know, one of the things that I was really good at, and I know that I'm not alone, one of the things that I was really good at as a CSR was problem solving. I like to solve problems and veterinarians generally like to solve problems and I've known a whole heck of a lot of really good kennel technicians, vet assistants, techs, CSRs who really like to solve problems and we're really good at it. And so someone comes along and says, hey, you're really good at solving problems. I would like to make you in charge of all of these people who have problems. And I think one of the most important lessons that I learned was very painfully, the that the things that made me good at my last job won't necessarily make me good at this job because leading people, I and I can't wait, I'm hoping someday we get into the argument about managing versus leading, but <clears throat> managing people, leading a clinic is a radically different job than being 
a doer of things to your point. And so I think that I really struggled with that because I had a great practice owners who looked at me and saw potential in me and said, you know what, you would make a great leader. And I'm really glad that they did. But the skill set that I had that made me a great CSR did not equip me to be a practice manager and understand the basics of HR or to understand the intricacies of conflict management or, or to understand finances and spreadsheets and how to talk to the CPA, right? And I learned that lesson very much the hard way that I was a really good problem solver and I could, people could hand me their monkeys and I could help them. I could help them with that. But that skill set as a leader, when I just let them give me their monkeys and I tried to help them solve their problems, that made me a really good teammate, as a CSR, right? And the other CSRs could be like, hey, what do we do about this? Hey, what do we do about this? And it was fine. I excelled in that role. But when I am sitting, trying to figure out the strategic plan for the business for the next year, and everybody's like, hey, what do I do with this? Hey, what do I do with this? Hey, what do I do with this? That problem solving skill does not make me a good leader in that moment. If I let them release the monkeys into the office, I am doing myself a disservice and I'm doing the team a disservice. And so remembering the fact that the skills that made you good at your job won't necessarily make you great at your next one. And that goes in two different directions. One is figuring out for yourself, what are the deficiencies and and asking for help, right? So getting the training, figuring out the gaps for yourself, really understanding what is the job that you're being asked to do and going after it. And for me, that was a great challenge. Like I was excited. I love learning. Like, let me go to see, let me learn all of the things. I was like a little sponge. And I have worked with so many, particularly team leaders, but also with managers who were like, I got promoted because I was really good at my job. And like, I, I like this or I could do this, but I'm not really happy. And I really liked that job better, right? And so a lot of times we promote people because they're good at a thing, but they don't have the skills to make them be equipped for this job. And so I think we all have to remember that as leaders, that the skills that made us good at one job don't necessarily make us great at a different job. I have I have a related one that is in my head. So I agree. So I completely agree with what you said. I will also say this is a, this is a similar but different thing that I, that I learned along the way. Um, I learned that dealing with people is, is the job, (laughs) is the job. It's not this obstacle to me doing the job. And I, I very much had that mindset for 10 years. Yes. I was like, man, you know what I'm here for? I'm here to accomplish this goal. And you know, what's in the way this person who's crying, this crying person (laughs) who should just deal with it and go on. And I'm like, I'm going to talk to you and I'm going to be nice to you. Do you know why? Because you're in between me and the objective that I'm trying to accomplish. And so I'm going to be nice to you. I mean, I was a heartless, but I was like, this this drama, whatever it is with these people not getting along or being upset, a big part of me was like, this is a distraction to me getting the ultimate outcome I'm trying to get, which is to have the most successful practice in town or to, um, you know, to, to, to implement this wellness plan. Like the, the, the pushback from the other doctors 
was an obstacle I had to overcome. And it was just, it was this, it was this, it was this byproduct, right? The, 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 the work of relationships and listening and things like that was an unfortunate byproduct on my way to getting the thing done that I needed to get done. And that's, I, I didn't, I I mean, I wouldn't say that out loud and I don't think I, I don't know that I would have verbalized it that way, but to some degree it kind of was. And what I, what I've come to realize and believe is dealing with the people is the job. Like that is the job. And by dealing with the people, we'll get that wellness plan done. And by dealing with the people in a really great and productive way, we'll have the best clinic in town because people will stay motivated and feel supported and be engaged and our retention will be high. And they'll feel like they have a mission and purpose and, you know, and, and value in their work and things like that. But it's not that you have to deal with their drama so that you end up with a great culture. It's you need to deal with their drama full stop because dealing with people and building those relationships is how you ultimately get the great culture. It's not that the drama is a byproduct. It's that the great culture is a byproduct to you dealing with the people. And when I did that, I suddenly found so much more purpose and meaning and value in sitting down and saying, all right, Tell me what's going on. Help me, help me understand this. And I'm and I'm going to coach you. I'm like, right, let's get it. Let's I'm I'm get my notebook here. I want to walk through this with you. And I did it because this was not a distraction in my way to building great culture. This was the work that builds the great culture. It was the purpose. I was suddenly working on what actually mattered. The whole time, I just, I didn't think that, I thought this was in the way of what actually mattered. It's just not. So anyway, that's, I, I, I think, I feel like that's related in that way of like, you know, what, how we look at people and how we engage with them and how we think about engaging with them, it matters. For sure. Um, I feel like we are going to have to have a part two to this. I think so. Yeah, I agree. I was just thinking that. I was like, because given that we're halfway through our list. We're not even halfway through our list. Well, we've, none, of, none of what we've talked about is actually on either of our lists. I think it's great. Like, oh, no, this is much better than what I had. Um, this has been so much fun. And in fact, I think uh, I think we're going to have to put a part two on the calendar. Because I, let's do it. This, is, this has been great. Uh, thanks for having the conversation with me. This is oh, fun. always. It's super great. Uh, you know, it's fun departure from our normal from our normal structure. I agree. I agree. I love the mailbag. And if you got me something too. from a mailbag, send it on in. But yeah. this is fun every now and then. Yeah. All right. Well, have a great week, everybody. We'll talk to you again soon. Yeah, see you, everybody. And that's the episode for you guys. That's what I got. I hope you enjoy it. If you do, go check out the Uncharted Veterinary Podcast. Like I said, part two of this uh, of this two part series is over there. You can grab it. It's it's uh, if you like this episode, you'll like that episode. It is different lessons, but you'll definitely uh, you'll it's definitely familiar it's it's more of the same in the best way possible anyway uh if you manage other people if you're a team lead if you're a head technician if you're a medical director if you're a regional medical director we've got over 200 episodes of the uncharted podcast and generally what happens is we take questions from vet practices and we break them down and answer them and so whatever you got going on in your practice we probably got an episode that covers exactly that topic so anyway just a resource for you to have uh take a look at it uh keep it around maybe uh maybe you'll you'll know maybe you'll be like i got a thing i 
really would like to hear what Andy and Stephanie guys have to say about it. And you may be able to find it. So anyway, that's it, guys. Take care of yourselves. Be well. I'll talk to you later.